Let's read the Word of God. I want to read the whole chapter. Um, and uh, because it's the limits of Christian freedom. And then I'm going to lay a foundation that we'll work off today. All right, let's just read this whole chapter. 13 verses, even though your outline says 12. All right, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogance, but love edifies. If anyone supposes, excuse me, that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol, until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not condemn us to God, commend us to God. We, will, we are neither the worst if we do not eat, nor the better if we do, not, if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, who has who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple will not his conscience if he is weak be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols for through your knowledge he who is weak is ruined the brother for whose sake Christ died and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak you sin against Christ Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Cool, huh? Let's pray. Father, we come today and we want to hear from you. We want to know what you're saying. Father, we want to know what it is you require. Father, what it is you are doing. Father, we have a passion to know your will. And Father, I pray that we have a passion to know you. And therefore, your will will be simple. Father, may that be the over-compelling energy in our lives. Father, may we look at your word today with great anticipation. Father, may we look at your word today with great longing, with great desire. Father, may we look at your word today cherishing it as you cherish your precious bride to you my king and you alone in Christ I've laid this uh, text out with three points Um, basically we we know we all have knowledge we know an idol is nothing and we know food is not an issue with God 
basically three points. And yet when we read this, we, we kind of scratch our head. It's 2004, and I'm trying to figure out where the priest is sacrificing the idols at, or sacrificing the animals to the idols at Safeway or King Supers or Albertson. And how in the world does this apply to me? And you tell me that the Bible is not a cultural book, but isn't this dealing with some cultural stuff? And I will say in context, yes, it is dealing with cultural stuff, stuff but we also need to be aware why it's God gave it to us. If we remember, he starts answering their questions in chapter 7, verse 1, now concerning the things which you wrote. Okay? And then in verse 7, chapter 7, I mean, he deals with relationships, singleness and marriage, and which is right and which is wrong and all the rest of it. But now he's dealing with something that is, is an issue today. Um, it's kind of comical, actually, if, if it wasn't so serious. And I find it interesting, I'd like to tell you I planned this, but I didn't, that what you heard from Wayne on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday falls perfect with the message I gave you on Sunday morning. And you take Wayne on Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and this message falls perfectly in line with all of them. I'd like to tell you that me and Wayne explained, uh, shared our notes and all the rest of it, but we didn't. All right. Uh, I let Wayne teach whatever's on Wayne's heart. When I go to Wayne's church, he says, you teach whatever's on your heart. Uh, we both uh, respect one another enough to say that we're following God. That he is following God, and I trust that he is leaning on the spirit, and he reciprocates, though I'm not sure that he is the wiser of the two. All right. One of the things that we as Christians come to know, sometimes we know it instantaneously, sometimes we know it in the process, and it's dealing with this knowledge thing. We have knowledge, okay, is that we as Christians have freedom in Christ. I am freer now than I have ever been in my entire existence. And what happens is the more I bow to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more I seek his face, the more that I am in prayer, the more that I am immersed in the body of Christ, the greater that freedom becomes. It's really bizarre. It defies logic. And yet my logic is based on my knowledge. And yet the author of logic is he who was in the beginning was the Word And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word there is logos, and that's the word we get logic from. So true logic is where? God. It's in God. It's in His Word. Okay? But if I understand true freedom, and we've seen this happen, and you've seen this in your age, with the collapse of communism... Okay, there was quote unquote freedom. But if freedom doesn't have a boundary, what is its product? Anarchy. Why? Because at some point, your freedom and my freedom are going to run into each other. Okay, and what you deem as free and what I deem as free uh, is horrifying. That is what the Apostle Paul will now discuss. In chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians. Understand the principle that there's a theme in the book of, of 1 Corinthians. And it's personal holiness. You need to also understand that this book has more don'ts in it because it's more of a letter of rebuke to a church that uh, we'll say is chaotic. 
Okay, that's probably an understatement. I mean, uh, a man has his husband's or his father's wife is a little beyond what I would classify as chaotic. And a few other things you'll see on the way. Okay, but there are limits Paul is laying to us for our Christian freedom. We have Christian freedom, but we have a limit. Now then, how does this uh, animal sacrifice to, to idols affect you and I today? Okay, and in the course of the next few weeks, I'll describe to you what, what was going on and how it all came about. But how does this work? Okay, um, let me give you a picture of the body of Christ. Okay, there has been some great debates in the church in recent years. Wonderful debates in some cases, awful in other cases. Um, you know, and I have to stay within it. I'll keep it in a framework of 25 to 30 years. Yet some of the underlying um, debates have been with us many, many years. Chapter 15 of the book of Acts, you need to hold that one in your mind because that was when we first started dealing with the quote-unquote, it's the Jerusalem Council, and there were some issues that had come up, and I'm going to deal with that in the, few, in the weeks to come and a little bit today. But some of the debates in the church, and I was just kind of going back through my head, um, and, and it was just uh, it was kind of comical, um, long hair on a man. Right, we've seen that debate, and how many churches have that picture of Jesus, the one we've all seen, with beautiful, kind of dark brown, flowing. How long was it, hair? Okay, um, he probably didn't have that long hair. He probably was cut like a, a Roman. Okay, because there was nothing to bring attention to it. A Roman haircut is basically what you see we wear, most of us wear today, a Roman haircut. Uh, and it's short hair on a man has always been, um, a man wanted to be distinguished bef- between him and a woman. Okay, and it's just always been that way. And I grew up with long hair. Uh, I, I, I fought for long hair. I argued for long hair. Uh, and I would tell the preachers that I ever got exposed to, to uh, didn't take that picture down, and I always had my little ammunition that I could deal with it. Uh, but when I realized, and if I'm true to heart about it, long hair on a man is rebellion. Okay, please. Well, but you, it's rebellion. I want to be against the system. Okay, so, um, you know, I'm, I have another text that will deal with long hair on a man. It will come soon. Uh, it's in this book, too. It's cool. But uh, it's rebellion. All right. Um, Ed, who leads our music, a dear, precious friend of mine, uh, when he got out of Vietnam, he refused to ever cut his hair again. And it was comical. Uh, he started attending church, came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but he still had a very long ponytail. His ponytail was about right here. And he would braid it back, wear it real tight, rubber bands, and stick it down in his shirt. And uh, one day he stopped in my office and says, Brother, what does it mean that long hair is contentious? And then I said, uh, get your Bible and read it, brother. <laughs> uh, and get your Webster's, your Greek, whatever you want to do. Uh, he did. He came in with short hair, and I just snickered. Because that's one of those that I am not going... That's a mountainside that I'm not going to die on. If you do not want to hear the Word of God, then don't listen to it. 
Okay, it also deals with the length of women's hair, and I'll cross that one when I get to it, okay? <laughs> Ed's not here. He loves me. I'm feeding his pets while he's away. He has to be nice to me. Okay? So long hair on a man was one of these great debates. Here's some others that I was looking I remember shopping on Sunday. It was a great evangelical curse, Bane. Uh, I remember at one time I was in Cleveland, and I was in the Jewish side of Cleveland, and on Saturday, you can forget it. You're not doing anything in the Jewish side of Cleveland on Saturday. Why? Sabbath. There's nothing open, there's nothing to do, and you have a bunch of people standing around saying, there's nothing open, and there's nothing to do. (laughs) Okay? Maybe that's why the football team is the way it is. Um, so, but I, I've seen Christians saying, you know, it's, it's Sunday, can you... Uh, we don't sell liquor on Sunday. Why? Okay, um, you know, there's a lot of things that you see go that way. Um, I've also heard the argument on, should a Christian woman wear makeup? Okay, and they'll quote to you that she needs to be adorned on the inside, and I'm just not going to touch it. Um, just, I just ain't going to touch it. Um, I'll deal with it when I come to the text. That's not the text that I'm dealing with right now. All right. I've also heard this. Should a Christian play golf on Sunday? Okay. Should a Christian play golf on Sunday mornings? Uh, I would argue depends on whether you score well or not. <laughs> if you play well on Sunday mornings, you might want to quit. <laughs> if you play like I do any other day of the week, I don't think it's a sin. What about rock music? What if I get a glancing blow of rock music in my ear? What about rock concerts? What about movies? Are movies a sin? How about dancing? Can a Christian have a drink of wine? A beer? Can a Christian have coffee? These are questions that the church has had to discuss, debate. Um, Some points they've even argued. Uh, Spurgeon's comment was that they wrangled over these Uh, And I would say that it's been in every church, every denomination, every age, and every society, and every culture. Okay? Um, And the reason is is good, I think, because the reason the church spends so much time talking about these um, and others that I may have forgotten um, is because there's nothing in the Bible that speaks about these specifically. Okay? Shopping? Okay, I've seen the great debate on a woman working. Okay, if you're a Christian woman, you can't work. Okay, well, that's tough when you read Proverbs 31, verse 10 and to the end of the chapter. Um, she sounds like a workaholic <laughs> to me. I'm, I'm thinking she's got a different kind of idle thing going on. Um, and, and all men would look at it and says, this is a blessed wife and all men would look at it and say, you bet you that's a blessed wife. And then we look around, make sure our wives aren't <laughs> listening to us. Um, 
So, but there's nothing specific on this. And I even watch it with the Sabbath. We deal with the Sabbath. Do you worship on the Sabbath? Or da, 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 da. Uh, I have been in a place, my daughter has been there too, where the Sabbath is honored. And I don't see anybody doing that. And yet people will say if the church doesn't meet on the Sabbath, then it's in sin and things like that. Well, that ain't the way that that's taught. So anyway, um, you know, when I think about makeup, um, adorn the inside. Okay. And some of you wear makeup, please. Um, dancing. Well, I'm just being honest. Uh, the uh, dancing, you know, people have asked, can Baptists dance? And I said, some can, some can't. Uh, and Psalm 50, it says, praise the Lord with dance. Okay, some of you shouldn't praise as much. Okay, what about movies? And I remember movies being of the devil 25 years ago, and those same movies now are on television. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what that means, and there's an indifference to it now. Um, you know, and there's many of these things are not really stated in Scripture. Uh, and so, you know, thou shalt not steal. What's the debate on that one? Okay, all right. Um, but there comes a time when we have to extend ourselves. We have to think through some things. Um, there are things in our lives, and I guarantee you in this room right now, there's things in your life, there's things in every culture that are called, and I, I want you to guard this because I don't want you running out of here and trying to use this for things, all right, that I will call the gray areas. If you're trying to force a decision into the gray area, I would say right off the bat, you're probably in sin, <laughs> okay? If I'm trying to make this decision fit into my gray area, probably sin, okay? Um, and what I mean by my gray areas is, is, is that it's not stated in Scripture as a right thing to do or as a wrong thing to do, okay? Um, so when I get to these gray areas, how do I decide? Um, like I said, you know, we have a, a list of some that we know that we don't want to lie. We know that homosexuality, that immorality, fornication. We know that cheating, uh, that stealing and killing, murdering is, those are, you know, you don't have to be a deep theologian to understand uh, what's going on. And very cursory reading of the New Testament, I can go through all kinds of lists of the flesh. These are bad things. And I mean, and then usually Paul makes these lists, Peter has, but Paul makes these lists and he usually contrasts them. These are good things. These are bad things. Uh, good things to do, giving of money, helping one another, loving thy neighbor, meeting people's needs. Um, but let's be realistic. In the middle of the good and the bad, there is a, an area that the Bible doesn't say a thing about. Okay, this gray area that is in every age, that is in every society, every culture, every environment, there has to be some decisions made. And they can only be made uh, for that time will they fit, uh, that place. How do I decide? I do not, this day, I do not have to worry about meat sacrificed to idols. 
Okay, I have to worry more about the price of the meat. And did it just become an idol? <laughs> because what do you mean I got to get a second mortgage to get a T-bone steak? Um, but uh, you know, what do you do with this stuff? What do I do? And that's what eight is laying a foundation. It's almost a general principle. Actually, it's part of seven principles. Okay, when the word isn't clear about the do's and the don'ts of this. Understand, you are indwelt with the Spirit of the living God, and you have been, everyone in this room has been given a very precious gift. You know what that gift is? It's your own personal conscience. Your own personal conscience. Okay? Um, So, there's sometimes in the Word of God, I don't have a yes, no about it, so then I have to take it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and what does my conscience say? How do Christians know whether to do them or not to do them? And is there anything that I can follow that will help me with the gray areas? All right. You heard a powerful message on uh, Monday night from Wayne, Galatians 2.20. An amazing message. And I see many people fall under the spells uh, of of legalism, um, and and we get all of this information, and we immediately take off to try to do it. And you can tell a person who's trying to live the Bible; they are very miserable. Okay, I mean they are absolutely very miserable. And yet, one of the things that is amazing about this text is that falling into that understanding. And Sunday night, he talked about the dwelling of the Word in us. Tuesday night, it is Christ in us. And then God goes before us in all things. It was Tuesday night. Okay? So how do I decide these things? Well, I want you to know first and foremost, we are free in Christ. We are not under the law. Please understand that. Okay? So, what about my gray areas? Well, the ceremonial things, I'm not under. I don't have to worry about those. All right. Many things that the church was founded on had a Judaistic foundation to it. That's why you see Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. And I find that fascinating because I know people who are interested in worshiping beyond the Sabbath. Okay. And yet the primary elder of the Jerusalem church was James, Jesus's brother. And Gentiles were getting saved. And that was the issue. Do they need to have circumcision? Do they need to convert to Judaism before they get saved? That's the issue. All right? What was James' response? Well, no, no, you can't just say, no, you don't have to be a Jew. But he did say, he made an interesting statement in there. Stay away from the blood of animals and things strangled. Why? No, you can't go with that. Jewish background, we're all one in Christ. Why? Simple. At the time of the writing of the Jerusalem Council, what was the majority population of the church? Jewish. Would a Jew be offended? 
Absolutely, they would be offended. It isn't that it's wrong. It is, it's offensive. Okay? What about the Sabbath? What did James say about the Sabbath? You're right. Nothing. You guys said nothing, and James said absolutely nothing about it. So I see people who want to worship on the Sabbath, and yet even Scripture doesn't say you worship on the Sabbath. It just basically says you have a day off. Don't work that day. All right, so you see how that they had a big discussion on these things. All right, um, and why? So there's a general principle when I look at the... See, I look at this, and I say, what the heck has this got to do with the price of rice in China? I mean, I'm going to eat meat. I even like pork, the other white meat. Okay? And I ain't told to not to eat pork. Not only that, I'm told to just be thankful and eat lots. Okay? Right? Be thankful. God provided. Pig out. Well, keep it to a, Don't be mastered by it. And yet, then he makes a statement in the Jerusalem Council that these things strangled in blood. Why do I have to stay away from those? Because there are many Jews in the community who would be offended. All right. So I lay that all out and I say, what's the principle? There's a principle in here of something that I need to pay attention to. And it sometimes isn't as simple as, is it right or wrong? Sometimes it is, who will this affect? Okay. Does the Bible say that it is wrong for the pastor to own a Lamborghini Countach. You know what? I seen one up at the, at the race uh, up at Denver, the Grand Prix. And you know what? It just made my day. Okay? You know what made my day about it? Lamborghini with the gold doors and more motor than anything else. Okay? It had a little hole in the glass with this crack that went across it <laughs> like that. And I was like... <laughs> Lamborghini's windshield broke. <laughs> so, well, I just, just a little thing. I thought, yeah, you got all this money, you can't afford a windshield. Okay, but is it against Scripture for a pastor to own a car like that? No. No. Is it advisable? No. No. Hmm. Why? Windshield break. Okay. Why not? Okay. See, there are some things that may be all right in themselves, but if you do them, they would wound somebody. Okay. Have you ever heard this text thrown at you? I am to be all things to all men. And it's usually somebody validating their sin. (laughs) Huh? That validates that text. That text has nothing to do with me using my freedom to sin. Okay? You have the right in your freedom to do whatever you want. But do I use that freedom no matter how it affects anybody? Just a question. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty. 3.17, 2 Corinthians. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. In James chapter 1, verse 25, basically James summarizes and says, our lives are governed by the perfect law of liberty. Okay? But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Okay, Peter in chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 16, do not use your freedom as a cloak of malice to willfully injure someone. So how do I decide? What do you do in your life when you have one of these gray areas? Okay, and do you have a process that you uh, um, can make a decision? All right, I'm going to give you my filter. This is one of the few uh, illiterated things I've ever done in my life. Okay, and I've done this a while because um, I spend way too much time in the gray. Okay, first, and I have a biblical text for each one of these. All right, first, excess, excess. Do I need it? Lamborghini. I have to be in a lot of places at a lot of time, at a lot of different times, and in different stretches, and I need a car that is. Going to break the law. <laughs> no. Okay. That's excess. Do you need it? Excess baggage. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Lay aside all encumbrances. All right? That would ensnare you in the race that is before you. Why? Do I have a reason for this? This thing that I am wanting to do, this situation, this circumstance, is it a weight? Is it an encumbrance? Is there a reason? See, I'm to run this race um, to my maximum efficiency. Do you want to run the race with a ball and chain tied around your leg? Okay. Um, There are things in, are, are there things, I guess is the way I want to say it, are there things in this activity, are there things in this circumstance that I just don't need, they will only weigh me down? Okay, so number one, excess. Is it just baggage? Is it just stuff to carry? Okay, number two, I did good at this. Is it expedient? 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful, but not all things are useful. All right? Does it, see, we look at some, here's what we do. Well, maybe you guys don't. Here's how I do it. I will look at things and ask, does it have a negative effect? Okay. Right? When we get ready, has this got a negative to it? All right. The question shouldn't be, does this have a negative to it, but does it have a positive to it? See what I mean? But we always want, well, you know, I don't, it's not listed as a sin, so I should probably do it. But does it have a positive to it? Um, if I do this, is it going to help me? Is it going to help me? Um, is it something that I, and I got it in quotation marks, I need, or is it something that I want? It's like computers, right? 
You can buy the top line computer, the best in the world right now. And my question is, why? Because in 90 days, it won't be. And you just spent a whole wheelbarrow full of money for something in 90 days. You know, if Christ comes back within that 90 days, then you will have the best that was there before the second coming. But other than that, what do you got? Something very soon that will be obsolete. You can buy the best there is, and in a few years, you won't even be able to get software for it. And so you'll have a very expensive, best that there is, best that there was, paperweight. Okay? So, you know, I look at it, is it I need it? Okay, and then I look at it, and when I talk about is it expedient, is this something that I need? Think, remember, I said negative and the positive. Okay, all things are lawful, but not all things are useful. Is this something that will help me be a better man of God or woman of God? You guys would be, some of you would be woman, I'm going to be the man. Okay? Thirdly, yeah, I did good. <laughs> you guys think it, it took me a long time to get through seven because of the detail I was doing. I was trying to get these seven alliterations together. Emulation, emulation, okay? First John chapter 2, verse 6. If we love him, we will walk as he walked. Okay, is this what Christ is doing? Walk. Is this what Jesus would do in the same situation? Okay, how did he walk? If Jesus came to this position... What would his decision be? I think about it uh, in the in the in the in light of it. Uh, they were walking through a field, and and his disciples were getting hungry, and they were taking the heads of the wheat off, and they were eating it. You kind of eat it like candy, uh, like uh, you know. You ever seen people eat sunflower seeds? But they'd take the heads off of this and they'd eat it, uh, and that was allowed. If you were traveling, if you were a Jew traveling through the lands of Israel and you came through a wheat field, uh, the person was supposed to, anybody who passed through and needed a snack could take the heads off of a few. I mean, they just couldn't come in and harvest your field, but, but they wouldn't because they'd be by themselves and they wouldn't be able to carry it. But they were allowed to eat off of it. But his disciples did it on the Sabbath. Okay, and Jesus threw at them real quick and said, well, David ate the showbread. Right off the table. Okay, so, and basically the showbread was for the who? Priest. David was a king. And what did that get Saul? When King Saul did a priestly function, what happened? God removed his kingdom. All right? All right, so when I look at stuff like that, is what, was, what would Jesus' mentality be in this thing? All right, I walk as he walked. Fourthly, evangelism. Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom towards them that are outside. Okay? If I do this, is it going to strengthen my testimony to the unbelievers? My, my wife and I went to a, a, a garden party. No, what was it called? A barn party last night that uh, there were no saved people there. <laughs> I know. There were no saved people there, nor was there anybody being there. It was a bunch of Aurora firemen, 
and uh, an assorted riffraff. No, I just said. Uh, so I just, no, I say that because I used to be a paramedic, and paramedics used to look at firemen as nuts. Okay? Uh, and we always, I remember as a paramedic, I'd tell firemen that we're here to put your parts back together. <laughs> so go ahead, run into the burning building, fool. <laughs> All right. But anyway, you want to be a hero? You signed up to be a fireman. You wanted to be sane. You hung out. Anyway, we were at this party. All right. And, and the guy who had the party, him and his wife are our neighbors. And, uh, and I'm not sure that we see eye to eye on anything. We don't. Um, uh, and, and so uh, it was funny because... Uh, they asked us to come over, and, and, and they understood. And when I got up there, uh, the, the guy who was having the party was very apologetic. He says, you know, I don't know what you do or anything, but there's like beer in here, the hard liquor's over here, but, you know, there's some water over there. <laughs> because, you know, I don't care. And, and he was very uncomfortable. Very, I mean, just amazingly uncomfortable. And, and then I started talking to him a little bit, and, um, you know, and, and he likes to hunt and he does some stuff with elk heads that I thought was really cool. And we got to spend, we had a good time together. And so I, I don't know if he was expecting me to start telling you that all going to hell and this, that, and the other. But, but as I mingled among these people, I understood that I had to watch my testimony to the unbelievers. Okay. Um, you know, um, it was at a barn, some country, and this guy came up and says, well, I need to go to the bathroom. I said, I don't know where it's at, but it's a barn, so just go around back. And, you know, my wife looked at me, you can't say that. And I said, why not? I do. <laughs> on my barn. <laughs> go ahead on this guy's barn. I don't care. Uh, and so uh, my wife was sitting there going, Dad's testimony is in evangelism is probably shaky. And I said, no, not really. But, uh, you know, and there was a bunch of the other neighbors that were there and all the rest of it. But I looked at it, and I went. Uh, with the mentality of saying that, you know, um, I'm in this world, um, but uh, I am set apart from this world. Understand holiness. When I say that 1 Corinthians is dealing with personal holiness, I'm talking about you being personally set apart. I'm not talking about sanctification. Okay, the cleansing process is taking God is in your life. I'm talking about are you set apart? Okay, what I do should be done wisely towards the people who don't know Christ. Okay? Uh, I showed him how to fix a couple of electrical problems at his barn and told him that he really needs to put... He's got metal uh, barn siding. And I said, you really need to put a ground. He doesn't have a separate ground on his panel. And I said, you really need to do that. And you really need to do that. You're a fireman. You guys write the electrician's fire code. You should know better. Because there is a huge possibility that if he ever loses neutral, that the outside of the barn becomes the conductor. And you'll always know it because the horse will go stand as far away from the barn as he can. <laughs> the horse doesn't want anything to do with that barn because every time it touches it, it shocks him. And I just thought it was interesting. So if you would, my wife would have paid attention, she would have noticed that I was not touching the sides of the barn. And I seen people leaning up against it and all the rest of it. And I said, all it takes is just a partial grounding. And everybody knows you wired it wrong. <laughs> all right. But how do you conduct yourself among lost people? Do you stand up pious? I'm holy. You're not. Is that using wisdom? Jesus hung out with them. Of course, he got in trouble from the religious fanatics. For hanging out with them. Okay? See, is there a better base for the testimony of Christ in your life? A better platform for reaching into the lost world? Okay? People who don't know Christ, you need to understand, can't understand the things of Christ. 
So you can't go give them the things of Christ. Fifthly, edification. See how I'm doing? I'm doing good, huh? Edification. Will this strengthen me? 1 Corinthians 10.23 All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Strengthen me. Okay? Um, Will I be stronger in Christ for doing this? Maybe it's lawful to do this, but the question is, will it strengthen me? I should really think it through. Strengthen myself. I can gain a positive from this. Will it strengthen me in Christ? Exaltation, number six. Exaltation. To God be the glory in the church. 1 Corinthians 10.31 If I do this, will it exalt the Lord? Uh, You know, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do in all things to the glory of God. Okay? So what I've given you there is the first six. Okay? Very practical. Kind of a grid to look at dealing with gray areas. Okay? All of these tie into chapter 8. But chapter, the seventh one is the one that I want to look at that really forms chapter 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians. And it is this. What is the example? The example. If I do this, will it set the right pattern for righteousness? If I do this, will it set the right pattern for righteousness? Primarily for my weaker brother or sister. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that for a second because we always think about righteousness and and we always think about them self-righteous when you've all run into them, very nasty individuals. But let me ask you this. In light of the message you heard last Sunday about our church, ask yourself this question. Will it be an act of love towards him or her? Huh? In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says, Take care that your liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to a weak. Verse 13, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. See, it is, we can, we can get our theology. Here's all of the do's and don'ts. And we lay them out. Then we run into a gray area. Okay? Sometimes when you get into those, we need to look at the bigger picture. Have you ever read the book of Habakkuk? You know, I've heard everybody tell me what that book is about. Habakkuk, uh, uh, Israel is going under persecution, and and Habakkuk is wanting to know what is going on, God. But you know what? And, and that's, you know, in light of these sufferings, what must I do to repent and all the rest of it is all the things that people tell me. But you know what I learned from the book of Habakkuk? None of those really have the deal. Do you know where Habakkuk is when God speaks to him? He gets up high on the wall and he overlooks the big picture. Okay. Have you ever thought about that? 
Instead of, you know, I, I watch people talking about the election and who's going to do this and who's going to do that and what's going to happen here. What do you think about this? What's going on in Iraq? What do you think about the stock market? Oil's here. Inflation's here. Interest rates are here. And this is doing this and this is doing that. This person killed his child. This person should have killed his child. Da, 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 da. You just go down the line, all right? And you hear all of that stuff. But you know what we don't do very often? We're really bad at this in America as American citizens. How often do we ever look at the big picture? And I'm talking about the global picture. What is Jesus Christ doing? Hey, I'm mature in Christ. Okay, let me ask you this one. And I'm going to lay this down because there's an underlining principle I want you to hear here. There's nothing wrong in scriptures about smoking a big old green cigar. I won't inhale, therefore, those who say the body is the temple of the living God, uh, I'm not corrupting my lungs or something like that. So, and, and big old green cigars, you're not going to smoke like 20 of them a day. Um, everybody I know you'll be the color of this piece of paper and laying someplace babbling to yourself. All right? The Bible doesn't say anything against it. But you ever thought about it? Some people would be offended in their minds that that represents something other than the Christian life, smoking that cigar. Okay? Whether right or wrong, do you realize, is not the issue? Yeah, has anybody here read any of the commentaries about Harry, Harry Ironside? Shame on you guys. Uh, how about Spurgeon? Uh, no. Um, Alexander McLaren? C.H. Linsky? You guys need to read more or something. I give you those because every one of them were stogie smokers. And I also have every one of them on my computer, and some of them I have printed material. And at the point in their societies, um, cigars were no big deal. Okay? Um, but at the point of the society that we're in now, guess what? It's a problem to some. And if it's a problem to some, you know what your response is? Well, I tell you what, if them people weren't so stinking legalistic, I could just smoke my cigars everywhere I went. Is that our response? Don't do it. Don't do it. There are some things in and themselves that is not necessarily wrong. All right? You know, I don't do some things, and, you know, I bet some of you don't do some things because you would offend somebody, or I would offend somebody. Um, I, I've seen people who said it was a sin to read the Sunday comics. Okay? And I, I'm just telling you, they said it was a sin to read the Sunday comics. But I can tell you the truth. It's no fun to read them on Monday. If they had been fun to read on Monday, they wouldn't have put them in Sunday's paper. Okay? But some would think less of Christ's testimony if you did that. I know that there are some who don't like to see kids playing on Sundays. Playing baseball or playing anything. Why? 
because it's a sin and it would hurt the testimony of Christ. Okay? So I gave you seven things. The example is where we're going to park in the next few weeks, but I want to take you to one other. You know, you guys laugh about that, but um, I'm looking and trying to put together some stuff to go to um, Russia. I have a big problem. You know that? Look at there. Brown shoes. Unacceptable as a preacher in the lands of Russia. Black is it. Okay? And you would look at that and you'd say, shoes? I'll get me some black ones if I end up there. Why? Go to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We'll wrap this up real quick. All right? Galatians chapter 5. He comes out of verse uh, 16 where he says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay? Epitumia is the desires of the flesh. That would be the overwhelming, overpowering things that your flesh wants to do. And he lists out what the flesh wants to do. But he says, if I walk by the Spirit, then I won't. I win that battle, basically. Okay? Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is... What? What is it? If you look at the Greek text, you will note that that book, the way it's laid out is love, and out of love comes the rest of the things. All right, now I've got to ask you guys some questions. I gave you, it was a, a message last week dealing with the body of Christ. Okay, and I showed you things that I, I would like to see happen. Okay. I've seen people in this church take up what they believed was something God had called them to, and they never did it with the fruit of the Spirit, and it became a burden. It became this thing that made them angry. I see a lack of relationships in this church. People don't know each other. And let me tell you something. There's only one foundational problem that causes that. It's lack of love. It's it in a nutshell. I mean, I could take the book of 1 Corinthians and say, this church is struggling with its holiness, therefore its ministry was inept. And the reason that it was struggling with holiness was what? No love. Not the love, the agapon, the agape that the Bible teaches. Okay, they had love. They were taking their feasts. The, the, the remembrance of the Lord's table and it was becoming a party. But if you look at it, you'll see that the rich people were coming in and getting hammered and were mistreating the poorer people, which shows what? Self-love. If you want to see the body of Christ magnified, the single greatest focus is what? Agape. I could summarize the whole book of 1 Corinthians in one word. Love. I can summarize all 66 books of the Bible in three words. Faith, hope, 
love. The greatest of these is love. Which chapter of the Bible is that in? 1 Corinthians 13. Why? What was the problem that caused the disunity, the division, and the strife in the body of Christ in the church in Corinth? Lack of love. And if you have any kind of pride, love leaves the building. What causes strife in your life right now? What strife? Let me ask you a question personal. What strife do you have right now with a brother or sister in Christ? And the simplicity of it is there, right there. It is a lack of love. What? The desires of my flesh have overrode the desires of the Spirit. And you know what? You're the one who's in torment. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying. Paul says, you know what? If me eating meat causes a brother a problem, I'll never eat meat again. I'll be a vegetarian. You know what Wayne said, right? Vegetarian, Indian word. Didn't you know that? Vegetarian was an Indian word. It means poor hunter. <laughs> okay? But Paul is saying, I'll give up meat if it causes a brother to stumble. You know how you do that? Love. I have a greater love for everyone else than I have for myself. Chapters 8, 9, and 10, the underlying principle for all of it is that I'll be an example of Christ's love. Paul understood. Listen, you can't get more legalistic than Paul. You can't have greater dietary restrictions than the Apostle Paul. And yet he says, I know that I'm free. I can have it all. But let me tell you something. If it's going to cause a brother or sister to stumble, I'll give it up. Now think about that for a second. Now grab that. I want you to think about it. Eating meat is something that we cherish, some of us. Are you willing to give that up for the sake of others? Brothers and sisters, the church here at Castle Rock is being called to accountability. Will we bow to the love that has been poured in our hearts and love as Christ has loved us? Pours it in our hearts. The question is, is do I understand that? The question is, is has, have, have I loved, have I reached out? Yeah, you don't understand. Every time I try to call that person, they don't ever call me back or they're grouchy when I call them or that. How many times did Jesus call your heart? How many times did you get grouchy and cranky with him? He set the example. You know, I, you've heard the cliche before. said, would you die for Christ? And we all say, amen, brother, I would die for Christ. My question is, can you live for him? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. What happens when he puts one of them really, uh, what I call the porcupine Christians in your life? I mean, they're cute, but you just don't want to get near them. <laughs> you know what I mean? What happens when he does that? And yet I watch us at times, we don't want to be involved. Too much time. Too much energy. I just can't do that. 
Yet the underlying thing is, I mean, when Paul says, I will never eat meat again to keep a brother or sister from stumbling. Why? Love compels me. Fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's unrestrained, it's unqualified, and it never respects anything back. It just gives. It gives us its time, it gives us its energy, it gives us its attitude, it gives us its all being. When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can summarize Him in love. He is love. God is love. We used to say that. God is love. What does that mean? He's the standard. He, he is the existence of love. How many times do we walk through this life and we put a qualification on it? So the greatest example that you can look at when you go into a gray area is love. It's love. Why? What, was, what example was set before us? Paul said, follow me. Why? I'm a follower of Christ. Can you say that today? Can you say, follow me? Is your life in such a position that as an example of the Lord Jesus Christ that I can stand before him and say, see, these guys are all followers of me? Okay, and it isn't that complicated, really. It's love. Okay, and love is difficult for us. There's not a person in here who does not have a qualification on their love. My, wall, my love is qualified, isn't it? Anybody in here has a love that is not qualified? What's the qualifications for Christ's love? Are none. So you believe you can do it? No. Go back to Wayne's illustration on the coat. You're the leather coat. The ability to love comes from where? From Christ. And did you ever really think about it? The law is summarized in two. Two laws. You can summarize the whole legalistic system of Judaism in two laws. Both of them have the same word in it. Love. I watch people who get up and try to try to, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they're just the most miserable creatures on the planet. Well, I didn't have my devotions. I didn't have my quiet time. I didn't have my Bible reading. I didn't, you know, I listened to some talk radio and it offended me, so I should have been listening to Christian radio and I'm down the line. What'd you do? You tried to love God in your strength. How well are you doing? Okay. Then you give up on that one and decide you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. See, the issue isn't our knowledge. The issue isn't idols. The issue isn't that that is sacrificed to idols. The issue is unrestrained God's love poured through his people. And when that's seen, people will come. When that's seen, you will reach people. It may be your son, it may be your daughter, it may be your wife, maybe a boyfriend, girlfriend. But it is seen. Why? What is the world looking for? We write, look how many songs we write about it. Okay, I mean, rock and roll, jazz, country, duh, duh, duh. Right? So what is my example? Christ. Fruit of the Spirit is 
love. When I jump into the text, the example I'll be laying all underneath it is love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for pouring your spirit upon us. I thank you for pouring your love in our hearts. Father, I just ask that we understand that we have that. It is our possession now. Father, we can love unrestrained. Father, we can love unqualified. Father, we can love as you loved us. I just praise you and I thank you for such a magnificent gift. Father, may your body, may your church be known for its love for one another. And Father, in that love, we touch the hearts and souls of so many. To you and you alone, my King, in Christ's name, amen.